I want to just start by thanking you guys for last Sunday. That was a real treat for me to look out and see all of y'all sitting there in the flannel, uh, even in the midst of the record heat in Arizona. It means a lot that you'd be willing to do that. I love you guys. Appreciate you. I'm grateful for you. It is not an exaggeration to say that the very gospel itself is dependent upon rightly understanding the person of Jesus Christ. It is not an exaggeration to say that the gospel itself is dependent upon rightly understanding the person of Christ. I had the opportunity to sit down with our sister Vicki Valdez last summer to record her testimony. Vicki grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, her mother and her family were heavily involved in the, the Kingdom Hall and engaged in activities, going out, uh, knocking on doors on Sundays. But even as a teen, she had questions about Jehovah's Witnesses and the faith and the way that they seemed to be reading the Bible. Uh, Why did they have their own unique translation uh, that nobody else used? Why did it seem like there was some sort of secret or unique way that Scripture was meant to be interpreted that only they knew? And did they really believe, based on a, a very literal reading of the book of Revelation, that only 144,000 people were going to be saved. And if that was true, well, then how did they keep track of that? She had a lot of questions. But when she was about 16, she was sitting down in her mother's kitchen and reached out and grabbed the Bible that was sitting there on the kitchen table. She opened it, she landed on a passage in the Gospel of John. And for some reason, at that moment, as she read that passage in John's gospel, it lit a fire in her. That's how she spoke of it. And when she read that passage that was explaining who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do, she came to life, to to spiritual life. She recognized that scripture wasn't speaking just about some ancient events that happened long ago but that it was speaking to her uh, right there in that kitchen, and it was speaking about her. So Vicki began to read the Bible for herself. She began to realize that the Christ of history and of Scripture is not the Christ of the Jehovah's Witness. Eventually, she went to a Christian church. She began to be discipled, uh, and she was engaging in learning more and more about Scripture and Jesus of Scripture. She grew in her understanding, and she grew in her knowledge. She grew in her love of the Lord. And it wasn't really ultimately until a number of years later that she, she would realize that the Jehovah's Witnesses was actually a cult. Uh, they used Scripture. They used Christian language, but they twisted it to misinterpret who Jesus actually was and is and what he came to do. John's gospel was written with a very clear intent. He actually tells us exactly what he's trying to accomplish in this gospel. And so as we're prayerfully reading through this over the coming months, as we're studying this over the coming months, We want to keep this concept at the front of mind throughout all of the narratives, all of the miracles, all of the persecution, the suffering, the passion, the resurrection. This is what it's pointing to. Towards the end of the gospel, according to John, in chapter 20, he says this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book, but these, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wrote this gospel to convince his readers who Jesus is, that they would believe in him, and that by believing they would have eternal life. John is very explicit about what he's trying to accomplish this morning. It is the verse that is on our new mugs at the welcome desk, but it's also in the the handout that you got in your worship guide on the way in this morning. Uh, There's a little half sheet that you should have gotten in there. Uh, That's meant to be just helpful for you as we're thinking through John over the coming months. It's a little half sheet on on one side of it. It's got uh, some basic information about the book, some major themes, some key concepts, and then on the other side it's got some uh, an outline and just some ways to think about the book together, a list of the seven I am statements, uh, the seven signs and stuff on them. So you can use that as a bookmark uh, over the coming months just to refer back to that. Hopefully it's a help to you. If you don't have a paper one or you'd like to have a digital one, there's a QR code that you can use as well to point your smartphone to that and you can get a, a PDF version of that same thing on our website. So if we could sum it all up, this is what John's trying to accomplish in this book. All of it is pointing to this. John is out to convince us that Jesus is God, and yet he is distinct from God, and that he has come from God into the world to bring salvation so that whoever should believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Our passage this morning is only five verses. It's very deep, but it's brief, and it's a very clear point. And so we don't need to belabor this this morning, but if we don't understand this, the rest of John will make no sense. I suggest that the big idea from this portion of the Gospel of John is this. The eternal word is the divine author of creation who brings life and light to a dark and dying world. The eternal word is the divine author of creation who brings life and light to a dark and dying world. Let's pray and ask for help. Father, we do ask that you would help us illumine our hearts, illumine our minds, help us to understand uh, this deep and mysterious text Help us to understand its truth. Father, we we depend upon you and your spirit to bring life to us so that this this simply wouldn't be words on a page, but that it would be speaking to us uh, now in our pews. We ask it with great confidence. And we'll pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're just gonna look at this in two sections. The first will be verses one through three. And the first point here is the word of God is the co-eternal creator. The word of God is the co-eternal creator, verses one through three. Let me just read those verses again. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Our Lord and Savior's life and ministry are recorded, they are preserved for us. The one gospel is presented in multiple perspectives in our different gospel accounts. But John is different from the other three. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are sort of what we call the synoptic gospels. They're looking at things from the same angle, they are seen together. 
John, however, is the most distinct from those other gospels. He shows us no parables. We don't see Jesus' baptism. There aren't many long public sermons or speeches. What John has put together, intentionally crafted for his audience, is a bit different. Uh, In Mark, Jesus shows up as an adult, sort of right in the middle of his ministry. In Matthew, he begins the the life of Jesus with his genealogy, tracing it back to Abraham. In Luke, we get a different account of the beginning of Christ. It's that that Christmas narrative, that long birth narrative that we get to read at Christmas time. John traces the origins of Jesus back into eternity. This is very different than what we find in the other gospels. You noticed, I'm sure, that this passage reminds us of what we read in the Old Testament. In the beginning, should ring some bells for us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so what we have now here in this New Testament passage is a new, unique revelation perspective on what took place in creation. It gives us a new perspective that fleshes out what was happening there. And it tells us that in the beginning was the Word. The Word, the Logos, is the Word behind Word. And there is a lot wrapped up in this concept of the Word. Greek Stoic philosophers, who are not Christians, would have had some sort of a concept of this principle that organized creation called the the Logos. It was clear to them that there was an order in creation and they didn't know quite what to do with that, so they thought, well, there must be some sort of impersonal force, some logic that stands behind the universe. It is the rational organizing principle of creation. So they thought of the Logos as just this impersonal force that maintains order in the natural world. It was associated with wisdom and with uh, providence guiding uh, creation and history. And of course, the Jewish readers of this audience would have had their own concept of what the word means and is. Even going back actually to Genesis 1, we think about creation happening. Uh, What do we read there? But in the beginning, God, and what does he do in order to bring about his creation? But he speaks uh, repeatedly. God brings his creation through his spoken word. When there was only darkness and void, God speaks, and what happens? But light and life. By his eternal wisdom, God, our creator, speaks order into chaos. He speaks life out of a void, light into darkness. And this is why we read in Psalm 33, verse 6, this, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, or by the spirit, all their host. And although it's all throughout God's creation that it's evident that God is there. (laughs) Romans 1 speaks about this. So God is speaking to create his revelation of his creation, but then even the creation itself is speaking, testifying to who he is. This is what we read in Psalm 19, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. So even creation itself is speaking on behalf of God. And whenever a prophet of the Old Testament would, would speak on God's behalf, what do we get but a little paragraph there at the beginning of the prophets that would say the word of the Lord came to the prophet, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. It is the word of the Lord that makes God known. It is the word of the Lord that reveals God. It is the word of the Lord that brings him close to his people. 
So God's word was the way that he made himself known through his creation and the act of creation, but also through his written word. But John clearly, in this passage here, in John 1, isn't saying that in the beginning there was a collection of letters. Yeah? Oh, we're clear on this. This is not simply in the beginning there was this collection of letters that was there. This is evident because he speaks very clearly about this and the fact that the word was with God. Notice that the word was with God. The word is not an impersonal force. The word is not an idea. The word is not a concept. The word is a person as John is presenting it here. Not an eternal idea, but an eternal person. And we get ahead of this in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter eight says that there was this, this wisdom that God possessed before the beginning of the earth. And it says that wisdom, when God established the heavens, wisdom was with God in that. These are similar things that we see uh, referring to John, uh, referring to Jesus in John 1, 1. That wisdom of Proverbs 8 personified. But it's clear here in John 1 that he doesn't simply mean that the word was present as at creation really is God's speech. He is saying that the word was with God related to God. The word is a person distinct from God in relation to God. But the biggest shock that we find in this text is what it says next. The word was God. So it's not just that the word was at creation as an impersonal force. He is personified. He is shown to be in relation to God. And now we see that the word is God himself. So friends, this is where the Jehovah's Witnesses stray from the path of divine revelation. Like those two Jehovah's Witnesses who came and knocked on my door yesterday as I was writing the introduction to a sermon on John 1. That really happened. That was a fun conversation. They wrongly interpret this to say that the word was a God. There's no definite article there, so it should be the God, yeah. The word was a God. He's one amongst the gods, or he's divine. As if John was suggesting that there were more than one God, or that the word is simply God-like. That is clearly wrong. What he is saying, and what we find throughout John's gospel, consistently, is that this word shares the same essence or nature as God. And yet, he is distinct from God. And so as readers, we're held in a bit of a suspense throughout this prologue, these first 18 or so verses of the Gospel of John. We don't know who this word is yet. That's not actually revealed to us until verse 17, where we find that this word becomes flesh and enters into creation. For now, we're not thinking about the incarnation yet. We are now with John considering eternity. We're thinking of the eternal word of God the Son of God, before his incarnation. We're thinking of the eternal word of God. Before he entered into creation, he existed. Who was he? He didn't begin to exist at Christmas time. We must know this. Verses two and three are very explicit that he was in the beginning. Before the, before the creation, the word was, he existed. And it says all things were made through him. 
All things were made through him. And then he adds to emphasize it, if you see this in your text, all things were made through him. And then to leave no confusion, nothing was made that wasn't made by him. So listen to me now. If Jesus, track with this logic, if Jesus caused all things to come into existence, then he must have existed before all things came into existence. The word did not create himself. We need to understand the eternality of this word. He is not a created being. He is not a part of the creation. He is distinct from creation. He is God. There was a cat from church history named Arius who tried to argue that there was a time when the son was not. Uh, When the eternal word, the second person of the Trinity, the son of God did not exist, that God used, he created the word in order to use him to create everything else through the word. So the word then, under this uh, false teaching, the word was simply like like a, a, a demigod, partially God, sort of kind of divine, but he was created by God, not fully God. And this was back in the 200s and 300s. That teaching was fully condemned as heresy multiple times throughout history, but it is still with us to this day. It is the teaching that is very similar to the Jehovah's Witnesses, to the Mormons, and to some Unitarians. We must be clear here that the Word of God is the co-eternal creator of all things. He is God, and yet he is distinct from God. And so when Arius' deadly teaching was refuted, we needed to figure out a way to correct that. That is definitely not what Scripture is teaching. How can we protect from that? Well, this is where our mothers and fathers of the faith came up with the Nicene Creed, which we read earlier in this service. Based on what is taught in Scripture, in John 1, 1 and elsewhere, it affirms that the eternal Word of God is God of God that he was begotten of the Father before all worlds, before all ages, eternally. He is prior to creation. He has no end. He has no beginning. Friends, this is, we, we can't move on to the rest of John's gospel until this is clear. This is simple, but we have to grasp this. Nothing else in John's gospel is going to make any sense until we fully understand who Jesus is in light of his eternal existence as the word. The eternal word is the creator of all things. He is the person who is distinct from God, yet he is God, and there is only one God. This is what we've put together just from these first three verses. Let's keep reading as we are revealing who Jesus is as the divine word. Second, the word of God would be a rejected revealer. The word of God would be a rejected revealer. Verses four through five. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, As we've already said, he is the creator. He is the author of all life. All things that have come into existence owe their existence to him. Uh, So, friends, everything we love, everything we value, everything we experience owes its existence to this divine word. Every person that you've ever known or has ever existed, that you've ever loved, owes the origin of his biological life, at the very least, to the eternal word of God, who is the Son of God. 
That is physically true. He created all things. But it's also spiritually true. John is doing something different here even than what we see in Genesis 1. John's gospel is always operating on two levels. This is important to interpret the gospel of John. It's always operating on two levels. There is a physical level of the earth and then there is a spiritual level uh, from above, from heaven. We can see this in Nicodemus's story when he's trying to figure out what, what, did, what is Jesus saying? Or the woman at the well trying to figure out what are you talking about? They're limited to their physical representation of what he was teaching. But we need to think about spiritual life here. Because of original sin, my brothers and sisters of humanity, we are by nature children of wrath. That is who we are. We are spiritually dead. Death speaks of a separation. Death marks the separation as we know and have experienced in a funeral. The separation, the unnatural separation of body from soul. So that when we're at a funeral, we see as it were the shell of what was a person. So physical death separates the soul from the body, but here's the spiritual reality behind this. Spiritual death separates the soul from God. This is the condition into which we are born. And friends, this is the biggest dilemma of our existence. Light in this sense, revelation, a divine revelation of truth does not naturally belong to humanity. You might have heard that we have like sparks of light within us, that we all have a bit of divine truth within us. Friends, this is not true. We are completely dependent upon divine revelation and truth coming from outside of us, coming from outside of creation, outside of our fallen condition to bring life through that light. We already see the good news though in verse four, it says, in the eternal word is, is life, and that life was the light of men. So just f- focus on what we're being told here. Just as the word breathed out physical life and light into the created order out of darkness and a void, the word brings life and light to dark and empty souls on a spiritual level in his new creation. So we have the first creation and then we have the word coming and bringing this new creation that he establishes through his life, death, resurrection and the sending of his Holy Spirit. The eternal word is the divine author of creation who reveals life and light to a dark and dying world. God shines light into the darkness of the world into the darkness of our souls, of our lives, and with that light comes life. Understand this, this is not just biological life, this is spiritual life. This is what Christ came to accomplish and bring. But even from verse five, it is clear that we get a preview of the conflict that is going to be consistent throughout John's gospel. There is a conflict between the light and life that God brings and the darkness and death of the world. The, the revealing of God into his creation won't always be met with great joy, with great celebration, like we might expect. 
the darkness is going to try to overcome that light as it comes into the world, but it can't. This is the good news. The darkness cannot overcome, cannot overpower that light as it comes into the word. The, the eternal word would enter into creation to bring the gospel, and yet, friends, what we'll find in John's gospel is that he is he's rejected, that he's beaten, that he's mocked, that he's ridiculed, and that he's murdered. But that's not the end of the story. Uh, darkness will not overcome light. The darkness of the world, which is mankind in their sinful rebellion against God, will not overcome the light that is coming into the world. When, when he came, Jesus was not rightly understood even. He was rejected, but he also wasn't rightly understood. So we could translate verse five here accurately to say that the darkness did not grasp him. So we might even be able to say that the dark forces of humanity could not hold him, they could not defeat him, but they also did not understand him. There is a lack of in information, a lack of spiritual ability, and the combination of those two to understand who this person is. So this is where we need God to help. Uh, we must pray for God to open the eyes of our heart to illumine our minds, to recognize that we are spiritually entirely dependent upon God to bring life and light. He did not come into existence when he was born. The word has always existed. He never came into existence at all. He was eternally with God. And he entered into creation, assuming a human nature, which we'll hear about in future passages, but he does this in order to show us who God is and then to guide us back to God. He comes into the darkness as light to guide us home. But friends, because humanity prefers darkness, because humanity prefers darkness, we tried to put his light out. <laughs> but he could not be overcome by the darkness. He rose again from death. He showed that the, de the defeat of death was real at his resurrection for all who would believe in his name. And listen, the only way that that is possible is if we understand that Jesus is God. He cannot defeat death in the way that we need death defeated unless he is God, not a God, not God-like, not divine, truly God. This is what John is so desperate from the opening verses that you would understand and grasp that Jesus, who came into the world, has eternally existed as God. You will never understand Jesus unless you understand his eternal divinity and his identity as God. He created all things and then he enters into that dark fallen world that we live in to bring about a new creation, a new creation that he is gone to prepare for us and we anticipate in that new Jerusalem. And when he returns, when he returns, he will usher in that new world which we anticipate, and there will be no need of a light, there will be no need of a sun, there will be no need of a, of a lamp, because God and the Lamb himself will be our light, our steadfast light for eternity. That's where we want to go, out of darkness into the marvelous light. Here's how we get there, through the way 
the truth, and the life. I mentioned earlier that Vicki came to saving faith in Jesus Christ as she read a portion of the Gospel of John. That passage was John 14. John 14 verses 1 through 3 says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So when Vicki read those words, the eternal word spoke life and light into her soul. She became a part of his new creation. I had the honor of reading John 14 over Vicki this week as she laid in the ICU in what turned out to be the final days of her life. But friends, because Jesus lives, she also will live. This is the eternal life that Christ, the eternal word, comes into the world to bring. This was her hope, that his resurrection would purchase and secure her resurrection. This was her blessed hope. And she died in faith, trusting this eternal word. It is not an exaggeration to say that the gospel itself is dependent upon rightly understanding the person of Christ. Because of her faith in Jesus Christ, who lives eternally as God and defeated death, Vicki could entrust her future life into his hands. The light of Christ shone into her heart. So the question, friends, is has that happened for you? Have you had that experience of seeing and savoring who Jesus truly is? Not simply as words on a page but as the the divine eternal person, the second person of the Trinity, who speaks life and light into darkness of our hearts, of our lives. If Jesus wasn't God, he's not worthy of worship. We should end early. But friends, Jesus is God. And that means we must submit to him as he has revealed himself to us. That's what it means to be a Christian. Once we were dead in sin, now alive in Christ. Once in darkness, now in light. There is hope for us all that Christ is still shining in this dark world, into the darkness of the world and into the darkness of our hearts. Praise be to God for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.